From Relay FM, this is Upgrade, episode 223. Today's show is brought to you by FreshBooks, Lunar Display, and Hopsy. My name is Mike Hurley. I'm joined by Jason Snell. Hi, Mike. Welcome back. Thank you, Jason Snell. I hope you enjoyed your assignment. It was a very good assignment. One of the best good. assignments that I've had this year. Thank you very much. Oh, you're welcome. Um, we have a hashtag Snell Talk question from Peter. And uh, Peter wants to know, Jason... Will your holiday lights be smart lights or dumb lights this year? Oh, great question. And the answer is, well, first off, do you mean the the lights that are outside or the lights that are like on my Christmas tree? Which I, I will ask for both. Thank you. Okay. Um, well, the answer is the same, which is that they're both on. <laughs> what did you do? <laughs> I just, you know, I, I thought I'd take them in turn. So on the outside, they're attached to a smart switch. So they're dumb lights, but they're attached to a smart switch. On the inside, however, they're also dumb lights attached to a smart switch. Oh, so too, yes, too very so yes. And then I have them on a schedule. Uh, the I, I have them both on a schedule now. So, um, which which leads to the thing that delights me the most about this time of year, which is that I come out in the morning to make the tea and make breakfast. And it's still a little dark out because it's winter and the tree is on. The tree is lit up. Oh, that's because interesting. The tree, because I have a schedule in HomeKit set to turn the tree on like 15 minutes or 30 minutes before sunrise. So it's on. It's not on overnight, but it's on when I get up in the morning, which is which is very nice. And then we do have also uh, the lights on the outside. I put those on a smart switch. Those are on a separate schedule. So they go on. Uh, in the morning for a little bit, and then they're on in the evening until you know late in the evening when when we turn them off. And uh, this weekend, I had the um, I had the blower and the inflatable, uh, not inflatable, the tube man uh, version of Santa Claus. You know, one of those guys that the air dancers that yep, flap their arms, the and wacky stuff. wailing inflatable arm flailing. Yeah, I had he was on the roof for a little while. He'll go back up later, but it it rained overnight, so I took him down before the rain came but i i have a i invested mike invested in a blower uh because it was my dream and my daughter's dream that we would one day own our own tube man and and for halloween it was an orange tube man but then i realized i could buy other tube creatures including santa claus so i bought a santa claus and now santa dances on our roof sometimes I love so much that you and your daughter shared a dream to have a wacky wailing and inflatable tube man I think it's one of those so things that, that I've always liked the the inflatable the tube men the flapping air dancer tube men. I've always enjoyed them, and I've always joked about how oh you know what one of these days I'm going to get one of those because that is hilarious and I love it. And um, and I that would never come to anything except that yes, my daughter agrees with me, and she's like oh it's so great. And then I uh, I showed her, and she's like. <gasps> We got it. Right. She's very, very excited about it. So she and I are united on this while uh, the other members of our household probably think it's ridiculous. They're not that expensive and they're not that uh, big. And uh, then you can have, why, uh, you know, why not have a uh, a tube man in your life? At least if you're you're me and Jamie. So we do. And now it's Santa for the holidays. So I uh, I have my, my Christmas tree lights uh, hooked up to a Wemo. We just have a. I I don't yeah. have a use for a Wemo other than this. Like I bought these when I got my Echo, and I've never found anything else that I want them for. I have like seven of those smart switches now. <laughs> They're doing all sorts of things in yeah. my house now. I would like to to. I would really like to use them more, but there is nothing that I really particularly need to have that kind of control over. 
Um, so, so I've got most of them are acting as timers. They're not like super smart. They're like mm-hmm. just uh, internet interface for timers. So most of mine, like the lights are like that. My smart switch is like that. Um, I have in the winter, I have a dehumidifier that's attached to a smart switch and it's the same thing. It basically goes on after, uh, it's in the bedroom. It goes on after we're out of there during the day in order to get the moisture out of the, that room. Um, you know, I had it wired and I might do this again at some point. I actually had it wired. So it was using the data from the weather station console that's in that room to actually like literally turn itself on and off based on the humidity data, but it's got its own humidity sensor. It, I can set that. It's fine. So um, I'm not doing a lot of like super sophisticated stuff where things are turning on because other things are happening, but I do, I am using those. And in fact, for a while when my uh, Mac mini was occasionally just uh, turning itself off um, or locking up, I had a smart switch on the Mac Mini plug so that I could remotely turn it off and then turn it back okay, on. Okay, I might boot back up. I might. I I don't think I've told you this, but I have a Mac Mini coming on Wednesday. I listen to Connected. Okay. I know all about it. So I have a Mac Mini coming, and, and that it's going to be on all the time. We'll get to talking about on all the time computers yeah. in a minute, by the way. So I might mm-hmm. do that for mine. I might put my because I have two Wemos, and the, and you uh, can run Homebridge, which will put them on HomeKit. Yeah, so this was because Wemo part. doesn't do. I don't think Wemo. They may sell HomeKit. a bridge, but I, but out of the box, they don't do HomeKit. No, because this is this is the other thing. Is like I would like a switch that could work with both HomeKit and the Echo, but that doesn't exist in the UK right now. There is oh, a company interesting. that will do this. There are a couple of companies in the US, I believe, that will do it. But um, all of the uh, all of the switches on Apple's website, right? So they're like basically all the HomeKit officially ordained ones don't work uh-huh. with uh, the Echo, which is a shame. But so I, I what I did just do just now is because I hadn't thought of this before is to put the Wemo on a schedule. So we just have like a, you know you just say to the Echo turn turn on Christmas because we can't. I think I spoke. I maybe spoke about this last year, but we did ha- have turn on the tree. But for uh-huh. some reason, just with the with Adina's accent, uh, the Echo thinks she says "turn on the three every time, and it just would. It was, <laughs> it was nothing she could do. It didn't matter how she said it. Uh, so it just ended up being "turn on Christmas," which I think is hilarious. But it uh-huh. is sad at the in the evening when you ask to turn off Christmas. Turn off which Christmas, is, that's just, oh, no. just a sad sentence. But now mm. we have it on a timer, so we won't need to do it. And I don't know why I hadn't yeah. thought of that. I just and just never really crossed my mind. We do have we have our hue lights on a timer as well. Anyway, like we'd like that, and and I think maybe I just hadn't hadn't considered doing it to the Christmas tree. No. That was a yeah. great question from Peter. Peter, thank you for sending that question in. You can be great like Peter and send in a question to. Uh, open any episode of Upgrade. Hashtag Snell Talk is what you need. You just send out a tweet and it will be pulled in for a future episode. Uh, I would like to extend my thanks to John Syracuse for filling in for me last week. Um, that It was very kind of John to step in. I really enjoyed listening to the episode. And Jason, thank you for taking care of Dongletown um, in my absence. You were like the caretaker of Dongletown uh, over the past week. Now I'm back and we can trade off shifts again. So thank you for doing that. I kept the streets uh, swept. That's so good. There's no litter in Dongletown. That's which is very important. Which so I will ask you: Did you put your Mac to sleep or not? <laughs> uh, well, as as was prophesied uh, on that episode, I said to John, I think the reason that I don't put it to sleep ultimately is that I have one of these switching power strips, which I heard from a couple of people who are like, "What? I didn't know these existed." But they they definitely exist. Switching power strips where there is like a master outlet that it monitors for how much power it's drawing, and then some of the outlets on that power switch 
are t- automatically turned on or off based on the master outlet, which means that if you've got computer peripherals that are externally powered and don't need to be on when the computer is off, you can plug them into those outlets. And then when the computer goes off, they go off. And I have that for my iPod Hi-Fi, for example, because it actually, I can hear it making a little like buzzing or hissing noise when the computer's off and it's still on. Um, and so I, I have it plugged in there. The it's all it all comes back to the iPod Hi-Fi in the end, doesn't it? I, so I, uh, I, I like there was a moment in the show where I think you said that, and John made a comment, and you just like blew past it. Yep. Like it's like something about the great engineering of the <laughs> the iPod yeah, Hi-Fi. Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, what can you say about it? It's a it's a failed product, and all of these things about it. But it sounds pretty good on my desk, which is why I do it, despite yep. all the other ridiculous things. Um, and it turns out that was accurate, by the way, that, that when I tried to put my iMac Pro to sleep at the end of the day on Monday, or, or yeah, last Monday after the show came out, um, the all the stuff stayed on. <laughs> and I don't know if it eventually would go off, if, if the power consumption had dropped to a low enough point or not. But I, I had that moment where I said, oh, yeah, here, here we go. This is why I don't do this, because I need to, I want to shut that thing off, and then everything else shuts off, and then... All the stuff that doesn't need to be on in my office is off, and I like that. I like that it just is controlled by the Mac going off. So I uh, will continue my daily shutdown, uh, which John was not as against as he is against uh, people to turn off their uh, iPhone when they put it in their pocket, or uh, maybe people who use a a laptop and, and turn it off instead of just putting it to sleep. I I listened to everything, but my mind was not changed. Like, and I don't think you mentioned this on the episode. You may have, but I know this is something I we've spoken about before. Like, I have all this audio gear attached to my iMac, which is powered by USB. Yes, and is turned on whenever the Mac is on. And there are probably things I could do, and, and I could add in other switches or whatever. But I, I don't really want to. I just don't really feel the need to do it because my iMac just doesn't need to be on. Right. And, the and then you're right, like the USB interface, right? Like having no power go to it is ideally the thing. And what I don't want to have to do at the end of the day is uh, is put my Mac to sleep and then walk over to the power strip and turn it off and then unplug my USB devices. And although also, also would unplugging the USB devices when the Mac is asleep wake them up? Maybe. It's like, I just don't even want to get there. I don't need the computer. And, and as I said to John, part of this is behavioral, which is... I like the idea of signing out at the end of the day. I can no longer, I no longer pick up my, my bag, leave the office, mm-hmm. go down in an elevator, walk to a bus stop and ride a bus home. Like now my home is six steps away from me. So there is something psychological about shutting down my Mac because then I'm saying, you know, there's a barrier between me yep. and coming back yep. to work in here. And yep. I, I find that valuable. I'm signing out for the day. It doesn't mean that I won't do work on the iPad uh, in another room, but in the office, I'm sort of like signing out of the office and saying I'm not coming back and sitting at my chair and bringing up all my documents. I'm I'm not coming back in here later. And if I do a podcast or something later that night, I leave it on because I'm like, I'm going to be back in here. But if I'm done for the day, done, done, <laughs> I like the feeling of having shut down the computer and uh, it doesn't take very long to start it up anyway. No, I, I we are we are in complete agreement on this point. Um, I mean, and it's it's not about the idea of like thinking computers shouldn't be on or whatever, right? Because your your Mac Mini is on all the time. My Mac Mini will be on all the time. Like right. I understand the value of that. My iMac just doesn't need to be because it just yeah. it just doesn't for what I, for what I use it for. 
All right, so the upgradies, uh, we'll mention it again when we mention it for a couple more weeks. Uh, the voting is still open. It will be open until December 24th, which is when the, the voting will close. As it stands right now, if we continue collecting votes the way we have, this is going to be the biggest upgradies of all time, which I'm super excited about. And I'm working on some fun things in the background. Um, we both are actually. So there's a lot. There's I'm really excited for the upgradies. I started uh, making notes for my personal picks today. Um, the up- upgradies season is nearly upon us, everyone. So you'll be looking out for uh, for that episode. We're doing it at the end of the year, right? Is it's if I remember correctly, it's going to be or is it going to be our January first episode? It's going to be our January first episode. No, yeah, thirty first. That's it. Thirty first. New Year's Eve episode. New Year's Eve. There we go. Yeah, it'll be a Christmas Eve episode that will be very special. Hol- upgrade holiday special on Christmas Eve. Indeed. And upgrade then we have a New Year's Eve. Eve. Yeah. So very excited about that. And in whilst we're talking about the uh, spirit of the holidays, we're going to be doing a mic at the movies next week, and we're going to be watching The Miracle on 34th Street, which is a movie I've never seen. And it's a classic movie. And it it's, is. it's useful for me. It's because, not from the 80s, no, by the way. No, no, It's from the 40s, right? 1947. The Miracle on 34th Street. Well, that's going to be difficult for me to keep saying. Miracle 34th on 34th Street. Street. Well, because my brain wants to say 34th Street, and that's not, I don't like that. That doesn't sound very good. Uh, so this is good for me because I was talking to Adina uh, over the weekend and she compiled a list of movies she wanted to watch because that she's never seen for the holidays. This was one of them. So we'll be watching it probably this weekend together um, in preparation for Mike at the Movies next week. That's great. Let's do a couple of pieces of upstream news. Warner Media has, has given some more details about their upcoming streaming service. Uh, it will be launching in 2019 is the plan. Um, sometime in 2019, this report mm-hmm. comes from Variety. They're going to have uh, three subscription tiers available. There's going to be an entry-level movies package a premium service with original programming and blockbuster movies. So I expect the movies package will be not new movies, but movies. Then there will be new movies on the more expensive one. And then the most expensive one will be a bundle of everything. So movies and original programming plus access to the Warner Media and licensed content libraries. So they're going to have a bunch of things going on here. Uh, Warner Media have also said that they're not going to just take all of the content that they make and put it behind uh, this this new paywall, this service, um, because they want to keep doing deals for some overseas rights distributions as well. I hope that doesn't mean that they're going to make this a US only service entirely. Um, uh, which, but yeah. it sounds like it might be. I, I I wonder what they're doing here. Also, keep in mind they own HBO. And they've said that the HBO Go and HBO Now are not a part of this product, uh, which is uh, really weird. And I'm not quite sure how Warner Media is going to offer a premium service with original programming and blockbuster movies. That sounds like HBO to me. Yeah. So are they are they doing HBO again, <laughs> yeah. or or is this it just uh, or or are they going to have HBO as a standalone branded thing, and also it's going to fold in all the HBO stuff and other stuff to their premium service? Uh, does HBO now turn into this? Uh, w- because HBO Go is just your a cable subscription and you're watching it. HBO Now is over the top. You can just get a la carte. You can just buy the HBO streaming service. They could turn that into this, but I think they've said that they weren't going to, which doesn't really make sense. I, I, I wonder what they're doing here. Um, 
I bet yeah, we'll that just have to HBO see. Go will continue being its thing, but I bet that the top tier package is everything HBO Go has on it. In it there, could be. Right? It could be that, that that it's basically a bundle of everything from Warner Media, including HBO stuff and because other stuff. But it is would be it is just crazy for them not to be like, oh, and Game of Thrones is on this thing. Like, oh no, not Game of Thrones. No, no, no. Right? That would be wild. Yeah, the um, the entry level movie focus package is also interesting. I, I wonder what that product is, and maybe there's a place for that. Maybe there is a place for, especially a company that has an enormous library, to say uh, we're going to build a movie streaming service. That's like you're you're a fan of movies. We have movies throughout the history of of film. We're going to put them all in one place. I guess uh, it would be interesting to see how they how they market that. I'm not quite yep. sure what what they're doing there. Um, the premium service sounds like they're real kind of like Netflix competitor, although they throw in blockbuster movies, which again gets me back to then is it kind of just HBO? Um, it's it's yeah very peculiar. I wonder what their strategy is. We're going to learn, Mike, this time next year. Um, this we're going to have a lot more detail about this world. I feel like in 2019 going to be a really big year for figuring out the future of streaming video. I will uh, one more point on this Warner Media thing, like the original programming part. Where is that going to come from? Because, like you know, we're we're tracking Apple, right? Like they just announced a couple more. Like they've they've put a season order for that Kevin Durant show. Like they've tied some more actors into some more productions. Like if they want to have something ready to go in 2019 of original programming, you would expect to see something about that before. Right. Yeah. Well, it's uh, it's that's why I say it's HBO. Um, it's it, got to be right. It, if you look, if you look at what they own, they have original content on HBO. They have TBS and TNT. They have uh, they have Cartoon Network. Mm-hmm. They have the Audience Network, which has original programming in it. They've got the DC Comics stuff. Um, but it's and, like it's, and, a fun, so, it's funny because it's like it's almost as if they are trying to like rebrand what they do to fit with the new mm. streaming world, right? Oh. Because original content yeah. now means like the Netflix shows, the Amazon Prime shows, but they're like they have all this traditional content, which is technically their own original properties, right? But yeah, now, you yeah. Know. Well, and, and that and that's I think what they're doing is they're gonna they're gonna take the content that they're building as originals for their channels, their cable channels, and they're gonna also pour it into this premium service, so you can watch it on TBS or you can watch it on the Audience yep. Network, which nobody gets. Uh, or you can watch it on their over-the-top service that they're providing here. Um, yeah, it's a struggle. Like they are, they have a legacy baggage of all these channels. That is a challenge when you're building a streaming service. It's easier if you aren't dealing with cable deals and cable time slots and stuff like that. But they do. They have to deal with that. And then they are new owners picking up old assets and trying to figure out what they want to do with them. And like Warner's strategy. A year ago is not their strategy today because there's this new Warner Media, so they're trying to figure it out. Yeah, it really feels to me that Warner is being dragged into this kicking and screaming by AT and T. That's just kind of the impression I yeah. get from yeah. like their timing and everything, right? It's totally. Like, would they do this if Disney wasn't doing this? I don't think so. And there, there, there's going to be a huge culture clash, right? Because AT and T is going to be in there, uh, and their executives that they've installed, and then there's the old Warner way of doing. It. I mean, when they came out and said, "Oh no, no," we first they came out and said, "Oh no, HBO is going to be different," and then they also said, "Oh, actually, what we want to do is really increase HBO." budget and have them do more stuff and and like those were weird and contradictory and i 
I still, you know, as a an observer from the sidelines, I look at this and say, HBO, getting HBO to produce more material and really bulk it up as uh, the the basis of a uh, you know a streaming service of HBO now and just continuing to invest in original content on HBO is a good move. <laughs> like that's a good move. My question is. Are you making another move that's just like it? Because why would you do that? Why? And maybe the details and who they're targeted for, um, throwing in the DC Universe thing, which is like, I uh, that's a fascinating thing because that's like comics and TV shows and old movies and all that kind of stuff rolled together. Uh, it's a really weird bundle. And I look at that and think this makes no sense, right? Like, like why are you... I don't. I just don't think that DC Comics is worth building like like with all the success marvel has had disney is not building a marvel streaming service right they're building uh they've got hulu that they're going to own most of they're building the the disney plus streaming service um but warner built this dc universe streaming service that and that's an example of one of those things that like if i'm at&t and i'm like no if we're going to do original based on the dc (laughs) comic stuff we own we're going to put it on our on our big streaming service not on this niche just for comic book fans streaming service that doesn't make any sense so i i think you know i it's it's a work in progress for for warner it will be fascinating to watch because it is going to be this push and pull of the kind of warner culture warner brothers culture that has existed and at&t saying um we're not going to do it that way the world has changed and it's an opportunity for everybody at both companies actually to reset and and uh, some people will leave and <laughs> some people will stay and and figure it out but i'm not quite sure what they're doing now i'm not sure they do either i want to give a, a a note about what i think warner's uh commitment is to outside of the u.s markets i've gone to the dc universe website because i didn't i had no idea such a thing even existed um Sorry, this service is only available in the U.S. We'll announce when it's available in your region, and yeah. there's no, there's no like, give us your email. Like, no, <laughs> they don't ever plan yeah. for it to be available and, outside and of I the just U.S. Say, I think in the long run, anybody who's hedging about international is going to die in in this world. Like, yeah. I think Apple and Netflix and Amazon have it right, which is. Uh, we need to be everywhere, and you know a- Apple is going to, by all accounts, roll out everywhere uh, as quickly as possible. And I know that that's Netflix's strategy, and it's also Amazon's strategy now is to try to be everywhere with as much stuff as they want. And and this feels like Warner is hedging, where they're like, "Well, we'll do streaming, but it's only going to be in the U.S." And you know, part of the problem is that they've that got sense. deals, they've got distribution deals for overseas that uh, limit what they can put out there, like. If they've got, uh, if they've already sold HBO to Sky TV or something, sure. But everybody else is winding them up. Yeah, but I, I mean, this is this is the challenge: is that they are going to have to turn away money from people who want to pay them for their content in order to keep that content and go international. And that that is going to be a challenge for them because it's the, it's the mm, but they're paying us money for this TV show. And it's like, yeah, but you need to own it. The the new model is original content that you have all the rights to that you roll out everywhere. Not your 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 business is no longer a studio where you make entertainment and you have your channels in the US and then you just sell it off to everybody else overseas. I I am skeptical that that's going to work for them in the long run. But um because because the fact is the buyers for the most part, unless they're like international broadcasters, the international streaming services, they want to own everything and they'd rather own it worldwide. Like Netflix, I'm sure, is not thrilled with the idea that CBS uh, controls uh, or, or that they, they don't control Star Trek in North America. 
that Star Trek in North America is CBS and uh, a different channel in Canada. Everywhere else, it's Netflix. And that, that, I think, is extremely frustrating to them. They'd rather be everywhere. So I'm not quite sure. I think that devalues the, 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 the product, right? Because it's like, well, it's not, it's not really a Netflix original. It's kind of, but kind of not. And uh, that's not great. And it's bad for CBS because CBS wants to expand CBS All Access. And they don't get Star Trek. They don't get Star Trek Discovery because they already made a deal with Netflix. So it's like it's bad for everyone, which is why I think that that model is going away. It's why the Marvel shows aren't on Netflix anymore after the, these last seasons play out because uh, Netflix wants 100% ownership of everything it does. And Marvel wants and Disney want 100% ownership on their stuff. And, you know, unless the show's a big hit, so big that it overrides those uh, those premises then it's just gonna it's just gonna go away. So I I, I think Warner Media is gonna have that moment too, where they're gonna be like, are we worldwide or are we just a sort of a a boutique U.S. only streaming service? It seems like a bad idea to me. Hey, speaking of which, uh, while we're still on upstream, what do you uh, think? You have any thoughts about this whole Apple Music running on the Amazon Echo thing? Because John and I talked about it a little bit. The idea of uh, if this is the beginning of something different, I wrote a, a piece in Macworld this week where I basically s- tried to explore the idea that Apple TV, maybe Apple's TV service, their video service, w- and maybe the TV app might actually show up on Roku and Amazon Fire TV as apps because this strikes me as being very much like Apple saying services are important to us. And we're willing to have our services on other pieces of hardware because in the end, the service is the most important thing. We want to extend our ecosystem there. What do you think? I think that the possibility of Apple TV showing up elsewhere has increased exponentially now, right? Where I think before it was like, ah, I don't know, will they do this? Like, yeah, we uh, Apple Music's on Android, but that's because the Beats Apple's on Android, right? So they just turned one into the other but this is like apple have decided or allowed for this thing to be created and the deals to be done with amazon and then now it appears and here's my i always uh i I like to assume what happens in the smoke-filled dark rooms with executives right I'm building my own conspiracy theory that Apple nice. wants uh, they want their TV service to be on Fire TV and Amazon have said, okay, but we'll take music as well. You know, like that there is maybe some exchange going on here where, because it seems very strange to me for Apple to put Apple Music on the Amazon Echo. Like that doesn't make as much sense to me as the Apple TV service on the Fire TV because... Apple doesn't really... Apple hasn't invested significant sums of money into Apple Music, right? Like, they're not putting billions of dollars into original music content, right? Like, True. Apple Music having the, the audience size that it has is perfectly fine. It doesn't need to recoup huge costs, right? Like, they will make their money and then some. Um, and I also don't think that, like, Apple Music isn't really competitive with spotify right like it doesn't have a thing where people are like oh i gotta get my apple music but like a tv service with original content will inherently have a like a desire for people that don't hopefully that don't even necessarily own an apple tv to want the content so like it makes more sense for apple to want to put their tv stuff in other places than it does their music stuff 
So the fact that they now have put their music in other places seems to indicate to me that it is it has become significantly more likely that the Apple TV programming will too. Yeah, I I guess what I would say about the Amazon Echo thing is it, it's all a matter of priorities, and the scale you're right is very different because the the nature of the business is different. They aren't they aren't investing a lot of money in original content for music. All the music services are basically the same. What is the case though? I think is that. Apple is saying Am- or, uh, uh, Apple Music services growth, revenue growth, is more important than keeping it as a HomePod semi-exclusive. Mm-hmm. Like, right? like the margins on the HomePod are not as important as the growth of Apple Music. That home- HomePod is available and uses Siri and can be sold as that but the the kind of false uh separation of features based on an exclusive deal which is what the apple tv has right like you can't play um apple tv like itunes videos and stuff on a tv without an apple tv it's not on any other boxes and legally i think it's not on uh like airplay isn't although there are like airplay apps that you can run that i've never gotten to work right but people say they work on other platforms so it's different, but I think in the end, it's the same in the sense where it's Apple saying, you know, our hardware margins aren't as important as our services growth in, in products that are not as important to us. Um, and Apple TV and HomePod are not as important to Apple as services growth. Like mm-hmm. it would be different if it was the iPhone <laughs> or the iPad or the Mac, frankly, but it, these aren't those. These are kind of like ecosystem extensions that happen that they're extruding these little hardware devices out and they can be apple's tech and they can have the high margins and they'll be like if you want the best experience you can listen on HomePod, but we'll also let you listen on amazon echo that's seems to be where they're going and yeah at that point it really is hard to not see them wanting to have apple tv on fire tv and roku and you know select partners that will give them exposure to a, a much larger audience I mean, not just for also not just for the video service, but I think at that point, maybe for, um, you know, movie rentals and purchases and, and, you know, TV purchases and all of the other stuff that's in iTunes. I, I am in agreement with you that it's something about a priorities thing, right? Like they've some priority has changed or some priority was this way, but we never saw it. And it's like that these services growth, these 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 things that we're making, these additional add-ons are more important. This monthly revenue is more important than the sale of a one hundred and fifty dollar Apple TV and like a now two hundred and fifty if you look in the right place dollar HomePod, right? And I I think that the, I just think the fact that they've done this with Apple Music makes it much more likely that they will do the same with Apple's TV service too. Yep, we'll see. It will be. It's weird, right? Like. It's hard to imagine for me Apple like just saying yeah our our get our TV app on on Roku. I, I it's very or, strange or Fire TV. It seems so different from the way Apple has behaved up yep. to now. But if I look at the way they describe their business, I don't see them not doing it. So yeah, we'll see what happens next week. But so far, Apple has said z- absolutely nothing about uh, the Echo. Music on an echo. It's, it's true. I, I I heard on Connected. You guys talked about your uh, your sort of conspiracy theories there. I I don't I don't believe that Apple is. Uh, 
I, I think Apple will do a press release when it's available. I think there'll be a, an Apple th- newsroom so when it, when it's available. Yeah. I think I think that that's what they're saving it for, and they'll do it then. And they'll say, "Isn't it great? Apple Music is on the Amazon Echo. It's a the Amazon Echo is popular, and everybody loves Apple Music. Why would they not?" And so now you can listen to it there. Oh, and by the way, if you want something that sounds better, here's the link to a HomePod. Yes, uh, Apple Music is also available on on other devices, including uh, the the HomePod, which is revolutionary, et cetera, et cetera. Yep. Yeah, stereophonic, stereo widening pairing sound. This episode is actually. Do you know what? Talking about something out of the ordinary. That's what we're going to talk about next. But before we do that, let's thank a new sponsor for Upgrade, and that is Hopsy. Hopsy was created by three guys who love craft beer. Jason, this sponsor is so for you, my friend. And they know that the Mm -hmm. best beer comes straight from the tap. But this isn't something that's accessible everywhere, especially at home. Well, now you can actually have this. Your own beer bar at home with something called the Sub. The Sub is a countertop appliance. It fits neatly in your kitchen, your bar, or your living room, you know, your home bar or your living room. So you can enjoy amazingly fresh beers like pale ales and IPAs whenever you want. Hopsy is the Nespresso for beer. It brings beer on tap to the comfort of your own home without a hefty price tag. And they've partnered with a long list of breweries to ship mini kegs, craft mini kegs straight to you. This is what Hopsy's doing. So like the sub is a device that you get that Hopsy will send to you. And then they will then send you on the subscription any types of beers that you're interested in. Now, Jason, I believe that you have received uh, some, some Hopsy shipments. Yeah, I'm trying to think of, so the little things are, so they're not kegs, they're called torps, and they're kind of like two liter bottles with a special kind of tech in them mm-hmm. so that they stay fresh and uh, and have all their bubbles. And you load them in the uh, the sub, uh, which is like a, it, it's like a beer refrigerator, but it's shaped for these, these torps to go in there. And I have had, I have gone through my family and I, but mostly me, but uh, also my wife has ha- have gone through um, many, several. I bought more, uh, so that's how I'm doing with the with uh, Hopsy. <laughs> if you want to know how I'm doing, is, is I have I a bought, subscription I bought, now. <laughs> I, I bought more. Yeah, mm-hmm, I did. That's because they, they sent us they sent us the sub and they sent yep. us I think four uh, torps. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I yeah I, I got more. I, I was like great more beer and the thing is so it's you know taps are great like and getting a beer from a tap is nice for a bunch of reasons including that you don't have to have like you open a bottle you have the bottles worth and if you want more or if you want less it doesn't matter you get it's a single serving uh, so i i found that it's fun you know, sometimes i will just for for dinner i'll just have half a glass uh, if i want a little bit more i can go back and get more so that's a lot of fun it is fun to have this beer on tap in your in your living room or kitchen or or, or bar or wherever it's in the corner of our kitchen uh, a lot of fun um, and the, I've thought about, I like beer enough that I've thought about getting like, uh, like a kickerator or something like that. And th- the problem is, um, when you get to that point, like, first off, it's a big piece of hardware. It's basically a refrigerator and the, it's complicated to set it up. And even if you get like a, like a half a keg, it's a lot of beer. And if it's just you or just you and your partner drinking the beer, um, it's going to, are you going to be able to get through it in time? And it's one beer the whole time for a very large volume. And so it never made sense. It's like, oh, that would be cool, but it never made sense. And these, um, these individual containers are small enough that you can go through them, 
uh, without like feeling like, oh no, I've got to rush and I'm only ever going to have this one beer and it's going to take forever. There, it's a smaller serving size. It's it's more reasonable. You can fit it on a countertop. And uh, and yeah, the beer the beer is fun. I've had stouts. Uh, I've had uh, uh, brown ales. We have a Winterbach right now that's uh, in loaded in there because we just finished a brown ale last time. I had porter. Um, they had our favorite white uh, Belgian white beer that we had a couple of. So yeah, it's been a lot of fun to do it and uh, to have it available. And we've both been taking advantage of having it. And yes, I have bought, I have bought more because they have a subscription service you can set up with your preferences. And it's a little bit like one of these, um, these dining services where they send you food, where you get, uh, you, you're saying, send me something every month, but, uh, and here are my preferences and they'll make some choices for you. But my experience was I was able to go in and personalize it too. I was being like, actually, I want this one and this one for this month's shipment. And right. then those are what I got. So, right. uh, it's, uh, yeah, it was a lot of fun. So you should, look, you've heard now, it's simple, convenient, it's great. It's why they, yeah, it's, it's easy to use. It's why it's called an espresso for beer, which is like a really fun way to think of it. Go and find out for yourself right now by going to tryhopsy.com slash upgrade. That's T-R-Y-H-O-P-S-Y dot com slash upgrade. And use the promo code upgrade to get yourself the sub home draft machine, two mini kegs of beer, which is equivalent to two six packs, two Hopsy glasses and free membership in their monthly beer club for just $99. Terms and conditions apply. That's one more time. Go to tryhopsy.com slash upgrade and the promo code upgrade to get your hands on that wonderful deal. Our thanks to Hopsy for their support of this show and Relay FM. So last week, Mark Gurman uh, over at Bloomberg wrote a report in which he spoke about Apple resorting to, as he quotes, resorting to promo deals and trade-ins to boost iPhone sales. Now, this sounds like a lot of the kind of thing that's been spoken about over the last year or two about like failing iPhone sales, right? Like failing iPhone sales, iPhone sales are going down. But there are really interesting promo deals going on right now for the iPhone. So this is part of Apple's give back program, which is a thing that's existed for a long time where you can take mm-hmm. in a device and Apple will recycle it. And if it's in good condition, you'll get some money for it. But right now they are doing some limited time offers where they're giving you more money. So for example, right now you can get an iPhone XR for $449 if you trade in a like a qualifying phone or $699 for a 10s. So these are $300 savings on a brand new iPhone. Um, according to Mark Gurman, people in Apple's marketing teams were moved around in, uh, I think, October, he said, specifically to help create and promote these plans to boost iPhone sales over the holiday period. And this has been something that as ramped up over time. So I've been doing a little bit of tracking as to how these deals have evolved and like the the um the kind of promotion of it and the expansion of it. So it started with a small banner on Apple's homepage for the 10R. Then the 10S showed up. Now these banners are dominating the entire homepage. It's all that's on the homepage now is these deals. Um, as far as I can see, these are US only. I, I haven't. It's not in the UK, and I haven't seen it anywhere else. But then there's more. The US App Store had a feature about the 10R and everything that it could do. 
I've seen people talking about push notifications from the Apple Store app about these deals. And Apple stores, so the physical store locations in the US, are using screens that are usually for the Genius Bar and like on the ends of tables. And even like, I think I saw one where it was like the screen that the Mac Mini was attached to to promote these deals as well. Um, throughout all this whole thing, uh, Greg Joswiak of Apple told CNET that the iPhone XR has, in, and I quote, been our most popular iPhone each and every day since the day it became available. So this is everything that's happened. What do you think about this, Jason? Well, I think, first off, that Apple has been doing aggressive marketing in various areas for a long time. Uh, maybe the people who are writing about this haven't been getting those emails. Like, I got on Apple's marketing list, and I've been getting um, pretty aggressive Apple sales pitches for holiday seasons and all sorts of other things for yep. years now. So it's not it's not Apple's oh Apple has to market their products now is uh is silly. I think marketing though is different to $300 off a brand new phone. Well, but but here's the thing, it's not $300 off a brand new phone. The 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 iPhone 10R costs 749. It still costs 749. All they're doing is trying to sell the trade-in program by showing you and in fact i find it weird that it says on apple's website right now what it says to me is iphone 10r from 449 with an asterisk mm-hmm. iphone 10s from 699 but actually if you have an iphone 10 from last year you can get that iphone 10r for 249 you can get that why don't why don't they even have the lower number oh, they actually have, have have they've actually shown some restraint and uh from uh 449 is for the iphone 8 huh so uh, it should say that these Prices, the prices that they are so on the website in the small print, they are basing those numbers off trading in an iPhone Seven Plus. I don't know why they picked that phone so specifically. Yeah. Seven, the Seven Plus or the Eight will get mm-hmm. you a four forty nine. But if you have an Eight Plus, it's three ninety nine because it's a sliding scale based on the the value of your phone. Like they'll give you five hundred dollars for an iPhone Ten, but they'll only give you sixty five dollars for an iPhone SE. Um, sorry, iPhone SE, they don't value you. Um, and a 6S Plus is worth 250 a 6S is worth 200 etc. So what they're really doing is trying to push the trade-in idea that your your existing phone has value. Take it back to the uh, September event when they launched these things, right? In that event, they talked a lot about iPhones having uh, keeping their value over time and things like that. That was part of the the marketing and conversation about uh, that event. And this is is part of that effort, I think, which is to say, I know, because here's what they did, is they did, the, these new phones all have high prices. So how do you market that? And one way is, let's put the trade-in thing up uh, front and center because that lets us communicate that if you're willing to to give us your old phone, we can make you a deal. That's not new, but what's new is them really pushing on it. And um, part of that, I think, is yeah, those price tags look really high, and they're trying to uh, they're trying to bring them down. So if there's a promo here, the promo is that they're giving more trade in value than they might the rest of the year, but um, they haven't really cut the flat fee on these phones uh, although you have you have also seen there have been reports for iPhones and iPads that there there uh there are deals to be had at big box stores and places like that i think the way i read this is one sticker shock is real 
And they want to market their way out of the sticker shock by saying, do you have a two-year-old phone? You can bring it in. You can save a lot of money. We're not going to make you pay $749. We're not going to make you pay $999 if you turn in your old phone. Um, now, a lot of people hand down their old phones to other members of their family, which you know extends the life of the phone in a different way. And uh, But if you're just a just a guy with a phone who wants to turn in and get a new phone, random singleton with a phone... Um, the, the, you know, the, this is an option for you. The other thing I would say is one of the things that I not, not really thought a lot about when these, um, when, when these things got announced is Apple having the prices so high and presumably the margin so high. One of the strategies here is it's easier to discount like, I wonder if maybe part of their strategy is, what if we price the phones high? Because some people will just pay that price, but it gives us more room to deal mm. and offer deals, right? You price it high and then you offer deals. And there, so there's, I would say there's no doubt that this is different from what it's been in the past. But what I don't think is accurate is to say, oh, Apple's really hurting. They've had to, they've had to do a lot of deals. I think this was premeditated. I think this has always been the plan is we're going to raise the prices, but we're going to do some deals. And some of them are going to be trade-in deals because then we can take those components and you know, refurb them and ship them to other countries where, uh, that are more price sensitive than, than the markets like in Europe and the U S. Uh, I think, I think it's all part of their plan. This is marketing. Isn't just promotion. Marketing is also the price you charge and the way you, uh, you, you talk about it and the way you position the products. Positioning is part of marketing and marketing something as an expensive phone that you can get cheaper, uh, with a deal is that's all part of the the strategy. I think that's been their strategy with these phones from the start. That is really interesting. I don't know. I think I still find that it's weird in its own way. I mean, I I wonder if you risk upsetting your customers, you know, maybe harming loyalty. Because these phones have not been out for very long, especially the XR. Like, if you bought one early on, like it's a it's a big difference, and I know that there was a trade in. There was a trade in. The trade in program existed, but the trade in value right now is higher, right? Like that's that's what that's what the limited time is, right? Is 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 higher trade in value, and if that was the plan, which is an interesting plan of like, well, we'll build in some more money so we can do some deals. I don't know about that. Like it seems like a strange. Not strange. It seems like a, a, a weird thing for Apple to do, like just based upon everything they've ever done yeah. before. Isn't it funny? We just said this in upstream. Exactly. Like, this is this is this is Apple trying st- some new stuff out, and I think questioning some of their fundamental uh, assumptions that they made that probably extend all the way back to the Steve Jobs era. Mm-hmm. And with surfaces, it's one thing, but this is another, which is you know the other. The other side of having these pricey phones is uh, is making deals. And, you know, it, does this hurt their ASP? Like, it depends a little bit on how it's all all marketed. But, like, the trade-ins, <laughs> they're, they're getting... If you can get an iPhone 10 for 500 and then resell it refurbished for 799 or 899 there's, you know, they're getting... They might they're getting it back up again. Revenue on yeah. both sides there. So, um, and I think... Also, it's an opportunity for people who um, 
it's an opportunity for Apple to get that hardware back and for and to push people to upgrades because I do think that the upgrade cycle we've talked about this a lot on the upgrade here on the upgrade program is that uh, the upgrade cycle for for phones is stretching and so one way you get people to upgrade is to say well you can you know you you don't have to wait three years and hand down your phone and all of that you can also just after two years or, or three years just hand it in and get a new phone for cheaper and that is one way to maybe make the upgrade cycle go faster just like the people and people who are on the replacement program where they're getting a new phone every year or every two years you know they're already locked in this is more like an a la carte version of that where it's like well you know you bought it you you weren't paying on installments or anything like that but if you come in after two years and hand in your phone we will also give you a deal on a new phone that that, like it it's this is not uh it doesn't feel radically different to me other than the fact that they're pushing it and that that is different and I think interesting, but I, I, I kind of think that that's fallout, fundamentally fallout from the pricing. I'm not sure that that is based on sales. Like I said, uh, my, my guess is that they, they were planning this all along as part of this strategy that included having the new phones start at 749 instead of uh, like 649 or, or you know, whatever, a lower price than the, than the 10 uh, 10R. Do you think part of the strategy could be not reporting unit sales anymore? I mean, I think it's all wrapped up together. I yeah. don't know how closely those dots are, are connected, but, you know, yeah. You can certainly do this type of stuff more easily if you're not having to report on that. Then again, then again, if you're driving new sales through deals, then you're, you know, you could be accused of trying to boost your unit sales numbers. So I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. I think this is, uh, you know, is, is Apple having sales issues with their new expensive phones? Maybe. Um, is it a surprise to Apple? Maybe, but I'm not 100% sure on that. I, I I don't think if you're Apple, you go in and say, well, we're going to start at 749 and then go to 999 and 1099 and assume that the sales, that the market won't blink, right? I, I think they were always assuming that they would sell more 8s and 8 pluses and maybe even 7s because some people wouldn't want to upgrade to the uh, the highest end model mm-hmm. um, and they figured they'd do marketing and they'd do some deals and they'd, do, they'd emphasize trade-in. Yeah. It was probably all uh, one big conversation about how they wanted to change how they were uh, marketing the product line. And this is part of it. If they thought that they could sell the iPhone to everyone for a thousand, like the eight wouldn't have existed, right? They would have just put the 10 up. I it. think quite literally what happened is that they looked at the 6 and the 6S and the 7 and the 8, but especially like the 6 and the 6S, and said, you know, if they're buying these phones for these prices, why don't why aren't we charging them more? Like, why are we not charging people more? Because a lot of people will, will be willing to spend more. And so we've seen the last two years, they've cranked it up and said, you know, if you are willing to spend ten ninety nine on this super high-end phone, we're going to let you and we're going to let you upgrade it and spend fourteen ninety nine on it eventually. Like, they're willing to do that. The challenge is, how do you keep the people who are not willing to spend that money? How do you keep them in your market? And mm-hmm. that, you know, uh, we a lot of people we know, a lot of podcasts we listen to have had the same conversations about Apple's pricing. And I, I do think that um, Apple is trying to figure out and, and and let the market tell them like how much they can push this because Apple wants to maximize revenue. That's what Apple wants to do. Apple doesn't want to um, 
screw the poor people out of their devices, right? Like Apple doesn't want to become like the luxury band. Their goal is not to say, unless you're a millionaire, you can't buy our products. That is not Apple's goal. Apple's goal is to maximize revenue. That's what it, that's what their goal is. They're a company, they're a profit-making company. They want to maximize revenue. Yes, they want to change the world and they want to make good products and all those things. But from a really simplified perspective, they want to maximize revenue. If yep, the market yep. says, oh, taking those phones up that high in price turns out didn't maximize your revenue because you turned off a lot of people and you lost some market share and you lost some unit sales and 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 those increased margins at the high end didn't make it up. Well, you know, if that's the case, Apple will recalibrate. Like that they will. <laughs> They'll be like, "Oh, that was that we pushed it too much. We're going to back off. We're going to come back down market a little bit." Um what they're trying with last year's model and two years ago's model and all of this stuff and with the 10R positioned at a you know fairly premium price point but positioned as kind of a a more affordable option they're trying to provide this sort of spread of products that allows different parts of the market to buy different places and uh maximize revenue but again you know in the end if they if they stick with this strategy it's because it's working um i i i get frustrated because i don't like the idea that apple is turning its back on people who are more price sensitive because i don't want to see apple become uh, a a pure luxury uh, brand, you know. Um, Gruber talks a lot about um, affordable luxury as a concept, and I think that there's some truth in that. And and you know, the danger is if Apple becomes one of these companies that that is purely luxury, that the stuff is so expensive that it's the kind of stuff you only really see on a fancy in a fancy shopping street or um, behind security at an international. Uh, terminal <laughs> right with the duty-free shops yep. the luxury shops if if that's what apple's future is i'm going to be really disappointed because i think the promise you know the the for the rest of us promise is an important part of what apple is and so it makes me uneasy i don't actually mind apple providing products for people who want to spend as much money as they possibly can because they love apple products my problem is if they f- ignore the rest of the market or consider them a place where they can sell a two-year-old phone and that if you want the really coolest stuff you've got to pay through the nose for it like i feel like there's a spectrum there but the more they push to the one end uh the more uneasy it makes me because um you know i do think that they're you know we'll see what the market says but i I think it would be unfortunate if what the market said was yeah uh forget all those people who don't want to buy a phone for less than a thousand dollars that would be really unfortunate i would be unhappy if that happened i don't know if that's actually going to happen my guess if i had to make a guess is that there is pushback on apple pricing their products the way that they have this year um just listening to people talk not just in our uh echo chamber of tech podcasts and all that but just oh, people, people in general people think apple products have always been too expensive right and now right. even people that love apple products think they're too expensive exactly so there's no way that apple isn't aware of this right so my gut feeling is that they're going to back off on this a bit yep. maybe not all the way but i think they're going to back off a little bit on this but i could be wrong like this could be one of those things where i want to say apple's never going to put apple music on an amazon echo i want to say apple's never going to put apple tv video streaming service on an amazon fire tv or on a roku because that's not apple so i want to say that apple's not going to redefine itself as being a super premium brand and everybody who doesn't have the the cash to buy in can you know just go and use a substandard product I don't want to say that. I don't want to think that about Apple. But we do live in an era right now where Apple is making lots of 
uh, changes to uh, challenge the assumptions we make about what their what their choices are. All right, today's show is brought to you by Lunar Display, the only hardware solution that will turn your iPad into a wireless display for your Mac, giving you a super portable second display with stunning image quality, zero lag, and even the ability to use your Apple Pencil, your external keyboard, and touch interactions to control your Mac. Lunar Display will turn your Mac into a touch screen device. Setting up Lunar Display is so simple. You just plug their lovely little tiny little red dongle straight from the uh, great area of Dongletown. You put it straight into your Mac and you will be up and running in seconds with everything working over Wi-Fi. And if you don't have access to a good Wi-Fi connection, you can also connect via USB as well. It is so, so simple to do. The Lunar Display app on the Mac and on iOS is really easy to get up and running and you'll be ready to go in seconds. I like that you can have it that the Lunar Display app on the Mac will just open whenever your Mac turns on so then you'll be able to use your iPad from wherever you want to be. I cannot wait to get this set up with my new Mac Mini later on this oh, yeah. week. It's one of the things I am most excited about for this. I have it on my Mac Mini now. I, I made that switch and uh, it's been great because I can go anywhere in my home. I can pop it open and I get that hardware accelerated high quality retina display control of my mac mini it's uh it's really fun also i think the mini display port version might be orange not red but they offer both so you can get the mini display port version if you've mm-hmm. got an older mac that doesn't have uh usb-c and then they've got the the neat one that is usb-c yeah uh, they sent me the mini display port one which i have in my imac and then i bought a usb-c one for my mac mini <laughs> so listeners of upgrade i think i use my upgrade code can get an exclusive 10 percent discount on lunar display just go to lunadisplay.com l-u-n-a-d-i-s-p-l-a-y.com and use the promo code upgrade at checkout that is lunadisplay.com and promo code upgrade at checkout to get yourself 10 percent off the wonderful lunar display our thanks to luna for their support of this show and Relay FM. All right, so Jason, you look. I saw a post go up on Six Colors uh, over the weekend. It looked you've been doing some really wild stuff with shortcuts. Um, and also, what I liked about the post that you wrote, you included a really nice, like, annotated image, which I thought was super cool. <laughs> Can you explain what you've been up to? What have I done? What have you done? Um... The yeah, so I don't know how to annotate shortcuts. That's that's one of the problems I have is, and I think it's a problem for learning shortcuts. And I wonder if there's something that the shortcuts team could do um, to make that easier. I know that's an esoteric thing, but like teaching people how to use shortcuts is kind of hard yep. because how do you share a shortcut with notes? So I took a giant screenshot, you know, with one of those stitching tools that let me kind of scroll through five six pages of shortcut and then i brought it into photoshop and i i typed text next to it to make an annotated version of it which is not ideal but there it is i i, I was trying to find a way to explain like what it. was going on i think it's good because you can in a shortcut you can leave text comments but then it's not super easy to get your head around it but i yep. actually think of honestly this is in especially in image form this is one of the best ways that i've seen it like, because you're actually showing me, because this is how, like, I've learned this stuff is by, like, looking at somebody else's shortcut and, like, working totally. out what they did. And Federico will, like, explain, like, that this does this thing. And then I can get my head around it and use that knowledge to build my own. Yeah. So, um, 
anyway, I did that because so uh, Matthew Casanelli, who is doing uh, podcasts and videos now, but used to be on the Shortcuts team, and he was writing a post last week about trying to get his podcast episodes posted to his blog. So it was an interesting post where he basically said, and I thought, and I do that for Six Colors, where like upgrade gets linked on Six Colors. Mm -hmm. So I thought, oh, well, that's interesting because that's, I I do a lot of copying pasting for that. It's kind of annoying and labor intensive. And I I like to simplify that. That's a great idea. And he he had a lot of good advice in there about how you use the the get RSS, you know, get an item from an RSS feed because podcasts are just RSS feeds and you can grab a bunch of information. You can get the title, you can get the link, which is the link to the page of the podcast podcast it's like show notes page and the description of it of the episode you can get all of that um and then his next step was and then i use this action which is from the wordpress app which is post to wordpress and i thought oh yeah i don't use wordpress i use a 15 20 year old piece of blogging software called movable type and it's got an api but it doesn't have an app and uh i had that moment where i thought okay, I've thought about this a long time and never done anything with it. Why don't I do it this time? Which is, why don't I see if I can actually use shortcuts to connect to this web API and post items into my blogging software that was built before the iPad or iPhone were uh, you know, even real and make it work. And I did it. I did it. That's the, the the short version of the story is I did it. I had some help from Matthew Casanelli. I had some help from Daniel Jalkett, who writes Mars Edit, the blog editing software on the Mac that uses these APIs. I, I needed a couple of pieces of advice from Daniel. And I, you know, it was something where um, I had to find a blog post for this weird setting. I, I was sitting, I'd finished writing a, a, a story at Starbucks with my iPad and I was sitting there kind of Googling around, seeing if I could figure out part of this problem because this problem was in my head, right? I needed to get it out. I was like, how do I solve this? How do I get this thing to work? And I ended up finding a page on archive.org from a blog that no longer serves that page. Um, actually, what I found was I found an article about an esoteric thing that was a side note to what I was trying to do that said, now this, and it had a link and it said, now this thing on this blog uh, is for most people. But then I had this weird thing that I needed and I had to build this thing. And I looked and I was like, well, I don't need what this guy's building. I just need the simple thing. And I clicked and it, it took me to a blank page. It's like, oh boy. So I went to archive.org and I pasted in the URL and it you know, it, it was in the Wayback Machine. I was able to look at that blog that was posted in like 2004 or something, 2006. Uh, I, I was able to look at that and it totally solved my problem and it was changing one line in the configuration file of movable type. Uh, which and it was really funny. So it's like I, I'm looking at a 14, 15 year old blog post, um, copying text out of it, opening prompt the, uh, the SSH app from Panic, uh, connecting to my web server, uh, using uh, command line, you know, VI text editor to edit the config file in movable type and add this item in. And I'm like, how how weird is this that I'm taking this advice from a 15 year old blog post from before the iPad was conceived and sitting here doing this on an iPad, connecting to a Unix server, oh. all of this stuff. That's movable type, man. <laughs> I, I save, I mean, it's like, what a world we live in where old tech and new tech can come together. So I save it out. I, I go back. I run it again. Totally worked. Solved it. Like, totally worked. So that was really cool. Um, 
And in the end, I mean, yeah, it makes it makes my uh, life easier in a couple of ways. Just uh, I've got a version of this that will take the post I'm working on in my text editor of choice, which is I think the one that I annotated on Six Colors, and I press a couple, you know, press a key and tap something, and it basically takes the contents of my file and puts it in the CMS. So I don't have to paste it and click a bunch of boxes. All I really have to do is proof it and press, you know, make this live. Uh, and it'll make it live if I want to do that. I can. It actually asks me, do you want me to just post this story live? So that's all great. And then I did a podcast version of it inspired by Matthew Castanelli. I, I did learn <laughs> the limitations of shortcuts, which was hilarious. Um, you know, my I, I post a link to the MP3, right? That's one of the things that I do is I, I push a link and it actually finds out the length of the podcast and all of those things happen. And that's not in the RSS thing. The MP3 attachment is not in the RSS thing in shortcuts. And I asked Matthew Casanelli about that and he said, well, here's what you do. And this is shortcuts in a nutshell. Here's what you do is since it gives you the URL of the, of the show notes page and the show notes page has the MP3 link in it, what you need to do is just go load the show notes page in shortcuts and, and extract the MP3 URL. Oh my. And then you can use that. Uh, it totally works. Totally works. Took me like 10 minutes to figure it out, but it totally works. It's ridiculous, but it, it totally works. So I made it all work in shortcuts. Uh, I know Federico Vitici has done this before, and that's the source of a lot of different shortcuts that people use, including I think maybe you, that involve hitting a web API. And mm-hmm. that's the, if I try to back up from the four people who are using movable type, I did send a note to John Gruber and said, look what I did, because he uses movable type. Uh, almost nobody else alive uses movable type, but I'm still using it for reasons. We're not going to get into the reasons, but there are reasons. Um, the bigger picture is uh, the power of shortcuts, and I got to see it here, which is if if something's got a web API, you can control it with shortcuts. That's the brilliance of it is it doesn't need to know about shortcuts. It doesn't need to have been invented when shortcuts or the iPad or the iPhone existed. And you can still do it because the web is a... Uh, is the the common language there, and it can speak it. And I was very impressed. Like, I was trying to submit the way the API works is you're submitting an XML file that basically is, here's what I want you to do and what the content is, and go do this. And I was getting errors from my server saying, uh, you know, you need to send this as, as text XML, and you're sending it as form data or something. And I asked Matthew Casanelli about that, and he said, oh, well, one of the things that's in that uh, shortcut block is setting all your headers, all your HTTP headers, which is like super esoteric. But he says, yeah, so just put in, put that in in the header of uh, content type text XML and then it'll totally work. And it did. So um, my, my bigger point here is shortcuts is, is weird and it takes a lot, I think, to f- understand how the way it thinks. And I wish there were better ways to annotate it and I wish there were better ways to educate people about how to use it. But this, uh, this instance last week, was a great example of me um, figuring it out and using it to do something that I didn't really think was possible that makes uh, that super simplifies my life. Because there, while there is not a, a web posting uh, client that I can use for my blog, I was able to basically make one out of the apps I use and shortcuts. And that was pretty cool. I remember the first... Uh, flight that me and Federico took together to WWDC. So this is when when shortcuts were still workflow. Uh, he ha- he showed me his workflow that did this kind of thing for him, and this was the first time that I'd really understood like it just like a like from a like a visual level 
the the mastery he had over it so like he would have mm-hmm. this he would it was like it was it had some slightly different parts for him in that it's it started with zapier monitoring an rss feed so right. when a new episode of a show was posted it added a new task to todoist with a link to the workflow so it would pop up in Todoist, it would hit the link in the <laughs> workflow, it would go out to workflow, do all of the stuff, right? So it could do all this stuff, then open like Ulysses or something or OneWriter with it all formatted in the way he wanted, which is like, that's the part that you have, right? Like it, it formats it in, you're using OneWriter as well, right? Yeah. Is that right? So like, or, or like it will format it or you're doing it on the other end. Like, so it, it has it in the exact way that you want it written to be posted mm-hmm. to the site. So it's like, it's, it's funny to me, like that you, cause he was doing all this stuff with new technologies, right? He was using IFTTT and Zapier and WordPress. And it's just funny that like you have made this work with movable type. I think that is, I think that is a monumental achievement. I think it's, it's, <laughs> I can't it's, believe it. It is incredibly simultaneously impressive and stupid. <laughs> which is what I was going for. So it was that. But again, the larger issue is if you've got, and, and most things you use, if you think, oh, the, the, I can't do this because it's not on my iPad or whatever. Most things you use, if if they are web or cloud oriented at all, they probably have an API. I Actually, during the, um, uh, so I have my weather station, right? Uh, during the the fires, we were really monitoring the weather quality. And I don't have, my weather station doesn't do air quality. Um, but there is a website that has air quality maps and I noticed that they have an API and I was able to write a little thing, uh, for that. It was for my, for my weather station page. So I wrote in, in Apple script. Um, but it could have been in anything and it could have been a shortcut that basically queries the weather station API and gets back the weather, the air quality or the air quality API gets back the air quality. Um, and my point here is, again, if you want to grab a piece of information from something that has a web service, they probably have an API. And although the idea of an API to a non-programmer like me is intimidating, a yep. lot of times it's as simple as I pass a URL to them and they give me back a piece of information. Mm-hmm. And if that piece of information is all you want, you've solved it. So there, that's the one of the nice things about so many things using the web for their back ends is that um, you have programmatic access to it and that's uh it's pretty cool it's pretty cool even if it is like an ancient piece of technology like this was some of the earliest days of offering an xml api for blogging software right and the world has moved on a lot since then but it's still there it still works and i was able to use it and that's pretty cool and i give i give one little plug here like if this is of interest to you this type of stuff one you should be listening to automators on relay fm with david sparks and rosemary orchard the others, I actually remember as soon as I said it, they did an episode a few weeks ago about Zapier web automation where they talk about how they use Zapier and shortcuts to post all of the stuff that they need for automators. So it's all in there. These tools are available to you. And I will echo what you said about APIs as well because terrifying to me, right? Like I don't understand totally. it. But if you can get your head around a specific thing, and a lot of these APIs are, you know, they're, they're nicely documented, right? Yeah, Absolutely. And a lot of times you're literally just pushing things into a URL yeah. where it's like, hey, here's this URL. And at the end you say, and this is what I want in like question mark content equals this. And then it just is like, great. And it gives you back what you want. It's It sometimes can be can be very easy. And so like then you kind of have this power to you, right? Like it's 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 super interesting. And what I love is that for people like me, 
there are more and more resources every day to help yeah. make this stuff easier. So. Yeah. Yeah, isn't it? I want to say like it's it's time tracking was one of the big ones that this came out that there was like a like toggle or something. There's yeah, a web based time mm-hmm. like where the app even if there was an app like it didn't have Toggle's a shortcut. App. Toggle's app sucks. Right, right, right. But, but you can use their web API to turn to time tracking yeah. on and off for projects. Mm-hmm. Right. That that was a big thing for a lot of us. Right, like learning yeah. how to wrangle the toggle API so we could actually build something that was okay to use. That like for Federico and for me, like that kind of helped push me into understanding what could be done there. And like I would take his shortcuts and adapt them. And as I was looking at it, I was kind of getting my head around how it all works. And super cool, super cool stuff. Uh, shortcuts is awesome. Like we had somebody tweet to us a couple of days ago, and they were like, "Oh, I, do you know how I can encode uh, videos into HEVC?" Right. Yeah, media files. And yeah. there isn't an encoding task in in iOS. How do I do this? And I saw that, and your answer was shortcuts. Yep. Yeah, because I saw the th- I saw the question, and I was like, I bet shortcuts can do this because this yep. is how I start now. Like, and this is this is a difference. I think that you have to kind of get your head around when when trying to use iOS more seriously. If I ever have a question like that, even if I don't know, I always go to shortcuts because most of the time. There's a way to do it there. And like I there's an encode media block. I open it up. One of the options was HEVC media. I was like, and I just took a screenshot and I sent it to him. I was like, here you go. And he's like, oh great. Like and and I get it because it's like if you're not if you're used to a computer that can just do all this stuff in all the myriad ways a computer can do it, you wouldn't necessarily think to look in shortcuts. But shortcuts most of the time, at least for me, has an answer for you. Um, and and I genuinely hope and believe that there will be more and more answers provided by this application over time. So super cool. Thank you for sharing that, Jason. Yeah, it was fun. All right, we should get into some hashtag ask upgrade questions. But before we, we do, let me thank our final sponsor for this week, and that is our friends over at FreshBooks. FreshBooks simplify tasks like invoicing, tracking expenses, and getting paid online. FreshBooks has drastically reduced the time it takes for their over 10 million customers to deal with their paperwork. FreshBooks can save you up to 192 hours. That's a lot of hours just because you will be able to use their super simple cloud account accounting software for freelancers, for people that are self-employed, for people that run businesses. We use FreshBooks extensively here at Relay FM to track our expenses and to send our invoices. I think we've sent nearly 2,000 invoices with FreshBooks now since the creation of our company. And I cannot, I cannot speak highly enough of this company. They are amazing. I actually, when I was in Toronto, I went and spent some time with FreshBooks, as well as being a great company with great software also super nice people as well with FreshBooks you'll be able to get your invoices set up and sent out super quickly they have a great tool that will allow you to build your invoice and you'll see exactly how your client's going to see it Um, once you've sent the invoice to them through FreshBooks you'll be able to track it you can see when they've opened it you can see when they've printed it and you can see when it all gets paid it puts an end to the guessing games because you will know all of that information right there and you can even automate late payment email reminders so you will do less work and spend less time chasing stuff and more time 
doing whatever it is that you should be doing or whatever it is you want to be doing. If you're listening to this show and not yet using FreshBooks, I want you to give it a go. They are offering a 30-day free trial to listeners of this show with no credit card required. Just go to freshbooks.com slash upgrade and enter upgrade in the how you heard about us section to get your hands on that 30-day free trial. That's freshbooks.com slash upgrade. Our thanks to FreshBooks for their support of this show and Relay FM. So, Mr. Jason Snell, it is time for some hashtag ask upgrade questions. And our first question comes from Stephen. Stephen wants to know, Jason, are you still using your Intel NUC Hackintosh? Uh, no. So for those who have not heard this story, um, it was doing something very strange. The the Intel NUC that I had set up as a uh, as a Mac mini replacement for my Mac mini server that was, as I mentioned earlier, occasionally... Uh, locking itself up. And the problem with the the Intel Nook Hackintosh was that occasionally it was sending out some sort of network signal that basically crashed my um, network. Oh, my dear. entire home network. Oh, dear. until I and literally I it would crash. The network would crash. I would unplug the Ethernet cable from the back and the whole network would start working again. Uh, and I thought this is bad. So uh, and I had seen this earlier and I had done some stuff and it had fixed it. So I was like, okay, well, what I'm going to do is I'm going to update it. I'm going to update it to uh, the latest version of Mac OS, which is a fraught thing with a Hackintosh. And I did the update and it uh, the update failed. And I did a whole bunch of stuff following all the instructions to get it to properly update. And it never would. And at that point, I unplugged it and put it in a drawer and took the old Mac Mini back out restored it from the backup that I'd been making and uh, and put that uh, that smart switch back on it because it's, you know, in the time that I did it every three or four weeks, there would be a day where it would just die and I'd need to power cycle it. Um, and uh, then on day one, I bought a Mac mini or I guess, I guess I got a Mac mini review unit from Apple and was like, yes. And then immediately bought one for myself and sent that one back because they want it back. But I now have mine and it's, and it works great. So the, the Hackintosh is no more. The Intel NUC is still here and I'm still kind of like toying with what else I could use it for. But uh, right now it's just sitting in a, in a box. I feel like this is, uh, just an eventual thing with every Hackintosh. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's. I mean, if you can get them to work, it's fine. But, like, this is why I don't recommend them. I, I bought yeah. it because I was interesting, interested in exploring what a what a little Mac Mini might be like and what it costs versus, you know, what the Mac Mini was doing. And quite frankly, there was four years where nothing happened with the Mac Mini. So we were bored, and it was something to talk about. Mm-hmm. But um, it, it, it in the end, it was so much work. And once you get it up and running, like, any little thing, and I don't know what was up with the Ethernet thing, but, like, any little thing... And it all can come down in pieces, which it did. So, you know, maybe I'll just install Windows on it. And I don't, I don't know, what would I do with that? I'm not quite sure. Um, or maybe I'll donate it or something. We'll see. But um, right now it is uh, just in a box. It's a little box because it's a little computer. <laughs> Michael has asked, what are your thoughts about the Apple Watch's halo effect three years in? I just spent some time with a Pixel 3 and the Apple Watch was one of the biggest things pulling me back to ios so what do you think do you think the apple watch has like a i don't know if halo effects is the right word but like a lock-in do you think yes. that it is locking people yes, in? yes yes absolutely i do um as somebody who wears an apple watch every day and likes my apple watch a lot 
Um, I occasionally will have an Android phone or something that I want to try out, or even a a different iPhone. Like when I was when I was reviewing the 10R, um, and it's a little less painful with the cellular model because if it's nowhere near its buddy, it still gets some data. But especially before the cellular models came out, like it's it's when I was trying out various Android phones, like a Pixel, um, or before that the Nexus Five. Um, it, yeah, like the I was like, oh, my watch won't work. Like, I mean, it'll be on my wrist, but at, in those days, it's like there was no cellular, so it would just not work. Now it's a little bit less bad to use something temporarily, but I think, yes, I think it is powerful. If you are really into the Apple Watch, it makes it very hard for you to even try out a phone. And of course, if you really are considering as a as a you know regular phone user, replacing your iPhone with an Android phone and you have an Apple Watch, you know, you are you are replacing your watch at that point too right Mm -hmm. like you have to give them both up you can't just give one up and i i think for people who like the apple watch it is a really powerful way to keep people in apple's ecosystem no doubt i will agree that i can see how it is i mean i have moved away from the apple watch but that doesn't you know when i know that when i was wearing it it was definitely part of what kept me in the ecosystem so happily right like i was less willing to want to try something out because of this reason as well right like i would be less less willing to change to try out android for a period of time because this would be one of the very one of the many difficult things right like if i want to wear my watch that's not going to work my phone anymore i mean the biggest one for me is iMessage. like that is the bigger uh lock-in of just trying to untangle the mess as well as it being more of just a general pain to get in touch with people but like trying to untangle my iphone from like my my phone number i should say from iMessage not an easy thing to do is my understanding but i do understand how the apple watch is another thing that can keep somebody locked into the system it makes perfect sense Leighton says, uh, now that Apple Music is coming to the Echo and has already been available on Sonos, if I buy a Sonos One, would I then be able to play Apple Music via Alexa or would I still be restricted in the way it is currently? So I would say, wait and see. Because (laughs) we we haven't even seen yet exactly how Apple Music is going to work on the Echo, right? Right. now, you, I think it is assumed that it will work how Spotify works or, you know, so you can just set it up as your default music service. That's what it should do. That's what everybody wants. We don't know that yet. And another thing is a, a data point for you. That device, the Sonos One, did not support Spotify for a while through the official Echo integration. It took some time for, I don't know why, but then it eventually started working. So even if... Apple Music works exactly as you would want to on Echo devices. I would wait to see if it then works on the Sonos One in the same way. Um, and again, like, what is Apple Music's Sonos integration then? Because I know that exists. So does it not work with the Sonos One? I don't understand. Do you know? Um, so Sonos One will... Sonos plays Apple Music. Right. But you can't control it via the voice assistant oh okay so the hope right? would be that if <laughs> you use apple I'll... music via the alexa integration with the sonos that's too many levels I, yeah i, I would think wait I, my my gut feeling is that it won't work yeah. because what sonos is doing is they've got apple music over here and they've got alexa over here 
and um and they don't they don't meet now it it would be great if they did and maybe they will but i wouldn't bet on it for certain and given as you said what we don't know about the echo integration and how it's you know even if it does come to sonus one is it going to come right away probably not and if it does when will it come and we just don't know so i i wouldn't make any any bets about it i think we're we're all going to have to wait and see i was thinking how um and this will also probably not be the case it's like uh echo uh echoes support the um you know multi-room stuff and control of other devices and that's a place where i'm sure this is not going to cross over at all right because what i'd really like is for my echo to be able to see my uh other devices on my network and be able to play that apple music on them too like on HomePods or on a sonos and that's not going to happen because then you start to get into HomeKit versus the uh, the amazon uh iot ecosystem and it all kind of comes apart so i think this being it's more likely that this is a a single thing that may eventually lead to a little bit more around it, but I don't think it's going to be a groundbreaking, like complete the wall comes down kind of thing at all. So I, I would wait about the the Sonos one, uh, and because I, I bet you it's not going to work the way you want it to. Rajiv asks, do you know of any way to mute Siri's responses when using the Ohai Telephone command? If I'm using it on my HomePod for HomeKit stuff, I prefer that Siri just performs the command silently without any feedback. This is one of those times where I feel like I know the answer to this, but I hope that there is a way that nobody knows about except one upgradian that knows and can tell me and help yeah. me. <laughs> you know? Yeah, because so on on uh your phone you can say I want no responses or minimal responses for Siri. Um I and yes, I would love it if there is a command so you could say Ahoy HomePod, don't talk, quit your jibber jabber, mm-hmm. you know. But I don't think there is so um and it's not in the settings either because i checked the homepod settings and it's not in there you can't go into the homepod settings and say minimal response or whatever just you can't yeah i i again i know this is the case but i really want someone to go oh if you just do this that yeah i know because I, i i love i would love to be able to say ahoy homepod turn on the dehumidifier and have it not go okay See, I, I wish it only just said okay. Like oh, it's just like right. Your setting your fire is now, now on. Hmm. Did, did I tell yeah. you a couple? Did I tell you like recently it went to me? Voila, like that. Not voila, voila. Your scene is set. Oh. It's like Viola, British, everybody. <laughs> British accent, Siri. Don't give me French words. No, right? Like don't. We're all good here. Voila, voila. Yeah. Uh. Yeah, so uh, where is this minimal responses thing for Siri on the iPhone? There's in settings. There's like voice feedback, and and there you got a few options there that are like oh yeah, always control with ring switch, hands free only. Yeah, so you can tell it basically don't talk to me unless I'm hands free. That's really cool. Which but is not you... the same as don't ever talk to me, but it yes. is better than better than nothing. Brian asks, if you're giving a games console as a gift, what is the socially appropriate number of games to give with it, if any? Now, <laughs> I want to get your opinion on this as a parent. Um, 
I and I, I this may have been a uh, originally for a for Syracuse a question, but well, um, see, this was the my, thing. I know it was, but I took umbrage to that because I like video games. Right? Yeah, I know, I know you do. <laughs> so for me, for me, I mean, first off, you've got to really like somebody to give them a game console as a gift. So it's going to be a uh, partner or child, probably in your life. I would say, um, for me, I think you should get i think the game console that you give should be playable so if it does not come with a game you should you should get a game mm-hmm. because there is nothing worse than the you know empty box under the christmas tree we got we got you a thing that doesn't do anything until you buy more things is yep. not uh that's not what a good you did, gift if you give thing. no gift you bought somebody an obligation Exactly right. Exactly right. Now, yeah, and and what's what blows me away is that a lot of consoles don't come with games now, or all consoles don't come with games now. They all come with no games. That was yeah. a standard for 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 so long. Like you bought a Wii, you got Wii Sports, right? You bought a an Atari back when I was a kid, and you got you got like Combat. It was dumb. It was a dumb game, but it was a game that played on the box. And now this latest generation of consoles, unless you buy a fancy like special edition, you don't get a game. And that was my frustration with uh, with the the Switch. Mm-hmm for example was like come on just pack put something on the memory card that's in there just pa- put something in there that's playable but they're like nope you just gotta buy them you can download them and i, I get it like uh you know they they've got uh, online app stores too so you can just go in there and log in and get your stuff and whatever but so i would say you need to make it playable so when we got julian the switch we, i bought um a mario kart and had it with it so we could we could have it with mario kart and so out of the box he was able to play a game and then you could get more and i will add to this that like if you're buying a console like an xbox or a playstation like a big heavy console and you're buying a game open it yourself and get it set up before christmas morning so when it is opened it can be played without having to wait for 20 hours for all of the game updates and all of the uh, like, so, for example, if you're buying, like, a PlayStation with Red Dead Redemption for someone for this Christmas, even if you buy the disc, you have to wait for multiple hours for the game to install onto the PlayStation. So, do all of that, get it ready, and then give it as the gift. That would be my my next level for you there, and then you'll be very happy. And finally today, Amar asks, does Mike use a pop socket with his smaller iPad, or has he considered it? So... No, I use a pop socket with my phone, and I like it. I now use a pop socket on my Kindle, which Gray came up with on the most recent episode of Cortex, and it's amazing uh, <laughs> because it, I got the Kindle Oasis um, f- to read some books for Cortex, and uh-huh. it's still like I-, I said this in the episode. Like it's still, it was very light. Still, just a little bit heavier than I would want, or like a little oh. bit bigger than I would want, right? And mm. uh, so, but now with a pop socket, like it's very, it's mess, like super, super easy to hold with just one hand. So love that. But no, I haven't thought about putting it on my uh, smaller iPad for a bunch of reasons. One, uh, a pop socket on an iPad feels more disruptive to me because it's a device that I will more frequently lay on a flat surface. Um, I would not like to use the keyboard, like to put it on the case because sometimes I flip the keys around and then it wouldn't be flat. Um, And also as well, with how I hold my devices, a pop socket is less required. Like I don't ever hold my iPads in one hand like for like extended periods of time. 
And that's why I do it, right? Like it's so I have a better grip on my iPhone. The, the, the devices are just held differently. Um, so it's it's uh, it's a different it's a different equation for me with the uh, iPads than it is with some of my other devices. But I know I, I know people do it, and I can see why you would do it because it. I actually see quite a lot of people put two on a bigger device like that, so you can hold them easily with both hands. Perfectly valid. Um, it's just not something that I have tried, and nor do I think I will try either. But do love pop sockets though; they're really great, really great. If you would like to get our show notes for this week, relay.fm slash upgrade slash 223 for that. Um, you can uh, also find them in your podcast app of choice. I wanted to just extend a thank you, Jason, to everybody uh, who bought Upgrade much. Oh, yeah. Thank you so it's much. It's all done now. Did thank you to was, all. Like, the response to the Dongletown t-shirt was amazing. Um, thank you to everybody who did do that. Uh, I was I, I don't know about you, Jason, but I was blown away by, by how many of those we sold. So thank you so much. Uh, we don't have anything on sale right now, uh, except for a very, very small amount of the enamel pins left. So yeah, I think so. We have just a few handfuls of those left. So they're going to stay around for a while. Um, and then when they're gone, they're gone. But if you do want an upgrade uh, enamel pin, there is one there. But thank you to everybody that bought some of our merch. Um, thank you to FreshBooks, Luna Display, and Hobsey for their support of this episode. Don't forget that we're going to be doing Mike at the Movies next week with Miracle on 34th Street. So if you want to watch along, you can. You can find Jason online. He is on Twitter. He is at Jasonell, J-S-N-E-L-L. And you can find Jason's work at sixcolors.com, theincomparable.com, and right here on Relay FM. Uh, I host many shows here at Relay FM as well, and you can find me on Instagram. I am iMike, I-M-Y-K-E. We'll be back next time. Until then, say goodbye, Jason Snell. Goodbye, John Syracuse. No, that's... Okay. Wait. Have... Hang on a second. <laughs> so, do... every week, are you saying goodbye to last week's Mike or this week's Mike? How does that it's work? It's a good question. I'm not sure. <laughs>